Hey folks, my name's Michael Coughlin, and I invite you to join me for each and every episode of Discourse, of course, an engaging return to the long-form interview in an age of ever-shortening attention spans. I'll explore the minds and careers of today's more interesting creators, thinkers, decision-makers, bean-counters, and worker bees. That's Discourse, of course, from your favorite podcast provider. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Well, 2020 has been a hell of a year, hasn't it? And to say the least, tough on a lot of people financially. The business world has been hit hard. Doubt permeates the air, and folks are a little unsure about the short-term performance of traditional stock indexes. People are buying gold, but it's hard to get. Real estate, quite frankly, is out of reach for many of us or commercially unviable at current valuations. Enter something known as Bitcoin. You may have heard of it. Loved and hated in equal measure and certainly, likely, almost always misunderstood by those who develop opinions based on reports from mainstream media and the hearsay of friends at the bar. Bitcoin, by some, is touted as a shining alternative hedge fund candidate, unlikely as it seems to most of us. I have now Bitcoin Audible podcast host and pundit Guy Swan on the line, the man who claims to have read more about Bitcoin than anyone you know. Welcome, Guy Swan. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I appreciate it. And um, you're down there in sunny North Carolina. That's is that right. And it is sunny. It's a good day. I'm going to be sitting outside in just a little while. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying life. Um, me too. Up here in Toronto, it's uh, the sun is shining. And uh, although there are traces of the uh, whispering winter winds in the, in the air right now. <laughs> but it's a good time to be alive um despite all the challenges that are being thrown at us uh these days the world yeah, you can't over, help but find it exciting uh, it's interesting nonetheless it, you know it could be boring <laughs> it, that's right it could be boring and yeah you know i feel like it's that moment uh in the lord of the rings if you're familiar with the story when uh i think it's mary uh, asks Pippin, you know, what is going to happen in, in the face of the oncoming yeah. war? And and uh, Gandalf just makes this wonderful, inspiring speech about, uh, you know, the time is yours. You choose what to yeah. do with it, you know? So we it's kind of one of those moments what, what, for what, humanity, uh, I think. Uh, we cannot choose uh, which time we are given. All we can do is choose what to do with the time that is given to us or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful, yeah. you know? I think I shed a tear I, oh, yeah, when I saw Ian McKellen perform. Definitely that. a single tear moment right there. <laughs> For sure, man. Uh, listen, before we start, into, I have uh, obviously you know, some questions to ask. Uh, but tell us a bit about yourself. Um, and keep in mind, this uh, foray into the Bitcoin world is for people who don't uh, know much about it. They may have heard a few things as I alluded to in the introduction, mm -hmm. but uh, probably not the real deal. So we got to keep it basic. Gotcha. But tell us a bit about yourself and uh, where you come from, uh, maybe a little bit about your podcast. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, background is uh, mostly mostly technical. Um, I actually did go to school for film production, though. Um, I was always... Lord of the oh, Rings nice. is actually a great example to bring up because uh, it was... Uh, myself watching that in high school that uh, it was so close to kind of the vision of the film that I had in my head while I was reading the book. Um, and I was a huge, huge movie buff. I mean, like I would, I would just break them down on my own. And I, I agree with that. I, I feel the same way. It's like, it's exactly what yeah, I imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, it just got me, it was, I mean, I came from small town, North Carolina, you know, like you didn't make movies in small town, North Carolina, but it just hit me one day that like, uh, with all the, 
I mean, I'd watched every behind the scenes of everything that I'd ever enjoyed. You know, DVDs were were yeah. just a miracle to me that you could just, you know, listen to conversations with directors and all of this stuff about how to make the film. And uh, so I watched it all. And then it was like, I could do that. I could totally do that. So uh, I went to school for uh, that, even though I was always super techie. Um, uh, my uh, honors thesis was actually on uh, how to um, like a incredibly low budget. How could you make um, some of the more uh, some of the crazier uh, like film moves and stuff like uh, steady cam like things or like crane shots and like that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and uh, right. I had fun with some uh, was a ridiculous little film that <laughs> I put together for that. Um and uh, but then uh, slowly went into uh, uh, I did photography for a while, did my own media business for, you know, little commercials, wedding videos, all kinds of little you know stuff like that. Um, mostly small things. Um, and uh, but I was becoming fascinated at the time with the power, like like what the Internet was doing to the world. Um, like I said, I'd always been techie. I've been building computers since I was in late middle school. Um, and uh uh, and BitTorrent in particular fascinated me and that that clash between like the old copyright uh, giants and this entirely right, new right. medium was was just so engrossing. I could not get enough of how this thing was unfolding because it was like everybody was not quite aware of how much the world was changing and there was something really, really big shifting Um and, uh, right. and so I was kind of becoming engrossed with that. And then uh, my brother, who was living with me at the time, was majoring in economics. So suddenly, like, he would come home and kind of we would debate over what he learned in economics that day. Uh, and we would basically, <laughs> like, start working out all these contradictions. It'd be like, OK, so literally what he talked talked about last week could not be true at the exact same time as what we were taught this week. And then we would basically like, like fight it out in a sense. Um, and then we just went digging online and found the Austrian school of economics, which is a different school of economic thought that is basically very different from mainstream economics, but Holy crap, the world makes so much more sense when you think about it within economic incentives. And th this, okay this suddenly made the whole BitTorrent and the internet light, like how it was changing the world make way much, uh, way more sense to me. And while all of this was happening, uh, essentially, uh, um, Bitcoin landed, uh, in our attention. Uh, and it is basically the culmination of all of this, uh, mixed in with the fact that we were, uh, kind of becoming on the verge of being libertarian at the time. Uh, and, that is right. that is also a deep part of the Bitcoin history. Um, okay. So yeah, that's that's how we uh, found Bitcoin, and I've been a internet technician and a bunch of stuff ever since. But then have slowly devoted myself fully to Bitcoin, and have not walked away from it since. Well, fascinating. I uh, I love to hear everybody else's uh, path into this uh, subject. Now uh, to be hmm. Full disclosure, I guess. I am a, a Bitcoiner, as they say, although I'm, I don't go as deeply as, as uh, many of the folks you would speak to on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, totally understandable. But, I, I sure, <laughs> I, but as, uh, as happens to many people, I get carried away in this great uh, growing snowball of, you know, I mean, I think you folks refer to it as yes. the rabbit hole. and. And I feel that draw. It's like a black hole and it's taking me closer and closer uh, because I become more intrigued with every fact that I learn and with every new opinion that I'm faced with. So um, let's break this down for people who may be curious enough to, to still be listening. Mm -hmm. um, what is Bitcoin? And uh, the nutshell response, uh, you know, for people who have really no concept other than they've heard of it and they think it's some sort of uh, crazy hackers magic internet money okay um so it's well first it's it's money <laughs> and that's no, a it's tall a tall order. order it's a tall order but um bitcoin is money that exists natively on the internet 
rather than natively in meat space, as you will. Um, so every form of quote unquote digital money that we have had so far is not digital money. It's numbers in somebody else's account that are supposed to represent money somewhere in the real world that they are just keeping track for you. Like, so it's, it's right. money in a bank and they're telling you how much it is. And when you need to move it, they move it for you. It's, it's entirely custodial and under the control of other people or a hierarchy of authority. And you're just supposedly the one that at any specific point, uh, quote unquote, has control of, or, or has permission to move it. But they can easily and very quickly okay. and very commonly take that permission away. Mon uh, As we've seen happen uh, in, in oh, absolutely. other We see it right? all over the place. I mean, it happens in the, the U.S. all the time, too. I mean, just go to something like uh, the, uh, what is it, PayPal uh, nightmare stories or something like that. There's a whole Reddit of just tens of thousands of stories of just getting locked out of PayPal of, you know, I mean, you know, try to get something out of your bank account after five o'clock, <laughs> you know, like just the, the, the right, level right. of control is insanely limited in an age where we could be having this conversation halfway around the world at any point a time live anywhere in the world. Um, uh, at any, at any, uh, you know, midnight. Uh, so Bitcoin okay. is, is money that is native to the internet in the sense that there is, by default, there is no custodian. It runs itself. So like BitTorrent is kind of your media server. Bitcoin right. is the money. BitTorrent is the media server without Netflix. Bitcoin is the money without a bank. Ah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Okay. Uh, that's very well done. And I've been listening to uh, different uh, interpretations of the meaning of Bitcoin or what Bitcoin is for, for a couple of years now. And I think that, that may be the best one I've heard, guys. So uh, two points. <laughs> two, two, guys points two points. All right. I'm, right. I'm marking that down. Two points. I got that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're keeping score here on discourse, of course. Uh, okay. Moving on from there, the next logical question and this is what I get from a lot of my friends, because as a now guy, I'm at the point of I can't keep my mouth shut about it. Right. So I'm going to my friends and telling them about it. And they all look at me with the same blank Homer Simpson unblinking eyes. That kind of like, and, oh, you uh, sad person. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've been yeah, there sure. and done it's that. Trust it's me. happening. <laughs> so so the, then my question uh, that I pose, why? Should we own it? Why should we bother? That is a long story. Um, and there are a lot of different <laughs> reasons. Uh, but okay, maybe we could do a bullet uh, bullet point answer for people uh, with some brief explanations. But do, I will say best. one of the fundamental reasons is that the vast majority of people have no idea how many of our very, very systemic and large societal problems come from the ability to manipulate money. Um, yeah. That is okay. a power that all governments take as their right for a very explicit reason. And it is because it is one of the most pervasive powers that they could hold. The power to print money for free is the power to consume anything and everything from the economy without giving anything back. There is absolutely right. no power dynamic greater than one person having to work their ass off. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Can, um, can I curse on this? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we, t we, we do it. All. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> um, uh, that's one person has to work their <laughs> ass off day and night like blood, sweat, and tears make hard trade-off decisions as to whether or not they're going to, you know, pay for this medical bill, bill or, uh, uh, you know, pay for something that their child wants or like, you know, like hard decisions and 
like really has to weigh this stuff and they work day in and day out to make their lives better while another person can literally give themselves millions and millions of dollars and just consume all of the resources that that other person has to fight for. That is, that is okay, just yeah. wrong. End of story. And you can excuse it a thousand different and ways. I and you can say, oh, it encourages economic production or it encourages a, uh, economic activity because now that person has to work harder it's like yeah well so you just the reason they have to work harder yeah if you know if you uh, poke a hole in my tire i have to work harder to get a new tire Th that doesn't mean that what you did was evil and that you're a piece <laughs> of crap for poking a hole in my tire um and that's the that's the analogous situation that we're talking about is that they're saying that it's uh, it encourages economic activity to take resources from people who need resources. And therefore they're going to fight again and work harder to get those resources back. It's like, well, no shit. You know, if you take somebody's food, yeah, they're going to work harder yeah. to get more food. Um, uh, but, uh, <laughs> and that's what Bitcoin solves. And there are a lot of second order and third order consequences of that power. And that power is abused massively and most people don't understand every single time the central bank comes out and says this is what the interest rates are going to be they don't realize that the reason that is is because of how deeply they are manipulating money um and uh, uh bitcoin essentially solves it it immunizes against it just like the major copyright um companies and uh the record labels uh, had to adjust to the fact that BitTorrent existed and there was nothing they could do because BitTorrent made information free. There's there's nothing that the banks right. can do to shut down Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just like BitTorrent on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of different computers, and they can shut down half of them and it's gone nowhere. It's still there. Still work. Yeah, and if yeah. I could interject for a moment... Uh, and a difference between uh, BitTorrent and Bitcoin, too, is, is an, an important distinction, is that Bitcoin is taking nobody's uh, intellectual, artistic oh, property sure. or otherwise and distributing it. So there's not, yeah, even, yeah, a there's, moral there's not even a moral question. It's you're free to use a fair, a provably fair money, or you can keep using the provably uh, ridiculous and immoral money. Um, and, but you have that option to you, but it's entirely separate system. It's not even, it's, it's not like, you know, taking the, the, somebody else's content and redistributing it in a different way. It is creating an entirely separate world that you can simply choose to, to operate under. Right, right. You could become a participant and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, expand the universe and, and. That's a fascinating thing for me as well, how Bitcoin has uh, started a whole new industry, a financial industry, because people are seeing the light and uh, being entrepreneurial mm -hmm. uh, by providing services uh, of all kinds. It's amazing to me to watch this, even from the, the, the short time that I've been in the game, which is I think I got in. Just post uh, correction in 2018. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, just watching in two years what has happened has it's just incredible yeah. how much it's um, grown. And, uh, and in, in my perspective, um, uh, it truly is like we're building a new financial system, but we're building it from the ground up. Like we're starting at the foundation. So while the other system, you know, gets to boast that like, oh, we've got all these nice windows and drapes. And, you know, the carpet's really nice on the 53rd floor. Um, uh, what Bitcoin is presenting is starting from scratch because the foundations of that other one are cracking and or built on sand. Like they're, I mean, you look at the debt bubble. We are currently undergoing the greatest debt bubble in the history of mankind. Um, and that's not even like... yeah. That, that's not an exaggeration. That is simply the truth. Like we can pretend that this is business as usual, but we have never had like the, the greatest economic experiment in hi in human history is undergoing right now. We have, we have more uh, value. We have more capital under negative interest rate. And, and I know there's a lot of normies who might not understand exactly what that means. But that literally means that, 
that incredibly wealthy people are getting are getting paid to borrow. They're getting paid to consume resources yes. that they don't have. It, imagine if you were forced to rent your car to someone at and it only cost you $100 a week. Like that that's that's what we're talking about for yeah. trillions of dollars in capital. That is psychotic. You get paid rent. And you're referring to the uh right? So you're referring to the folks who are close to the to the theoretical yes, spigot, the money spigot. right? The uh the Federal Reserve doling out money basically for free for if yes. you're part of the yes. club. Um and uh, uh, so like treasury bond yields, um, I think it's like 20 trillion now across the modern world, uh, negative yielding. Uh, the U.S. is basically zero, <laughs> I think yep. maybe 0.15 percent. Um, so imagine being able yeah. to take out a lot. I mean, obviously, we can't do that. Not us normal people who have to work for money. Um, no, no, we have to pay exorbitant. Yeah, my uh, credit card uh, interest, interest rate is what nineteen percent. Um, but imagine being able to get you know a hundred billion dollars at zero percent. Oh wow, that yeah, seems like a no brainer. So it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, and and then you just buy back. You buy yeah. back your own stock. Yeah. Drive the you buy back, back your own stock, and now your now your company's worth twenty percent more. And how easy is it to pay off a zero percent interest loan when you 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 specifically used newly issued money to raise the price of everything you own? Like you 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 just took out yep. a loan to make yourself wealthier to pay off the loan, and this is what's moving trillions of dollars yeah. in capital while everybody else fights for a few thousand bucks and what happens to the price of yes. real estate it goes up 10 percent, 20 percent every year the price of education everything bought on debt health care um cars all of this stuff all of our living costs and uh the price of retirement holy crap if you can't get an interest rate how the hell are you going to retire you could save a million dollars, but if you're getting paid 0.15% interest, you can't retire on that. Yeah. So yeah. everything that we need uh, goes skyrockets in price because they're using the money spigot. Well, because there is a money spigot, because there is one. That's why. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, people see this coming? Like I – drive around from day to day in the GTA. That's the greater mm -hmm. Toronto area. And man, uh, shopping mall parking lots are full. Uh, people are lined up at the Starbucks drive through. Uh, people are pumping gas into their cars. Uh, it's like, it's like nothing happened. And it's like nobody's saving any money in this consumer society. And that's a funny term that has always struck me as a funny name. But it's insanely apt, uh, a consuming yeah. society. And it's just like full on right now. And I, I just feel like there might be a, a drop off a cliff somewhere up ahead if we could only see the edge for the crowds in front of us rushing to get yeah. there. Um, well, that's kind of the uh, I think it's kind of necessary, like, like it's it kind of necessitates the fact that like the average person is not going to see or understand kind of what's unfolding. Um, and that's kind of the goal of the political apparatus is to make it hard to notice so that everything looks fine. Um, so that we were continually hurting worse and savings rate. I mean, think about why does nobody have savings is because you can't get paid for savings. What possible incentive is there to save? If yeah. For sure. You know, you you have five thousand dollars in a savings account, and this this actually happened to me. Like, I got a check for uh, like twenty seven cent or something like that um, for my yearly interest, and I just <laughs> I just laughed. I was like, right. dude, the stamp on this thing is fifty cent. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, <laughs> so, like, why would I save? What could I possibly get out of saving? Um, well, we're at the same time where, you know, if there is no savings across the economy, interest rates should be 30%. You should be able to get more on like we're broke. We're dead broke. We are leveraged like 18 to one 
across the economy, which means that every $1 that exists, we owe 18 for it. And mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. crazy. It's, it's crazy. absolutely batshit. Um, and uh, like, <laughs> so we should, the, the whole point of the interest rate is to balance that out. It should never even be possible to get to that point because the interest rate should skyrocket. When banks are running out of money, they shouldn't be able to issue new. They should have to charge. They should have to pay people interest rate to lock it up, to save it. Um, and that's how you prevent these mm -hmm. huge things from happening. You let the interest rate be a market price rather than a central bank dictated political tool. Um, and uh, and so, you know, you would have 20 percent interest and you'd be you'd make more on your savings than it costs to go like to get a credit card right now, like in, in interest. And so what would happen? Right. People would save. People would save if you could put a thousand dollars in the bank and get paid two hundred dollars at the end of the year. People would save like crazy, and we'd be out of this in no time if we had real interest rates. Um, but but we don't. We have fake yeah. interest rates. We have a board of directors deciding which interest rates are best for them, and then trying their best to cover up the cost of that for everybody else. And that's why they measure quote unquote inflation with CPI with consumer price index of a whole bunch of just frivolous crap that, you know, lasts a year or two TV, coffee, yeah. um, uh, you know, going go, like just going to the store and buying stuff. Um, and my understanding is that this is a figure that can be uh, very much, uh, very easily, very handily manipulated to reflect exactly what the, uh, central banks want yeah it's funny every single time uh this really kind of started in the 70s late 70s i think um but they started to change every single time the cpi looked worse like started to look progressively worse um, right they would change the rules oh we should maybe not include this thing yeah. that's rising rising in price <laughs> too fast or this thing uh, and, right. uh, you know, lo and behold, CPI or quote unquote inflation kept being low when you just keep changing the rules. Uh, and if you actually use the rules from like the early 1980s, like the, the traditional standard, um, is, uh, uh, like inflation is like 9% or something like that. But if you, if you use just a more like a, a really basic, like flat, like inflation is not that hard to determine. Um, it should be, it should be a really easy metric. It doesn't need a bunch of com uh, convoluted, ridiculous rules around trying to minimize uh, price inflation. That's, that's all that's opposite of the point. So there's a really, really great tool called chap wood index, C H A P wood index. Um, and uh, I use it a lot and it's a, basically a crowdsourced sort of thing. Um, uh, and mm -hmm. uh, it's the top 500 products that um, people buy. Uh, and it's from like, I think it's all like the top like 50 or 60 cities or something around the country. Uh, and it's just a, it's just an index of just keeping track of it all. And if you look at it, it's pretty obvious that inflation is anywhere between like 10 to 15% um, pretty much across the board. Um, right. Uh, but uh, obviously CPI says it's like 1% or 2% because um, they've got their, they've got their fun ways of covering it all up and they get the benefit of the fact that computer prices plummet. So like technology is such a deflationary force that's trying to make us wealthier and trying to make us massively more productive and able to do things like this, which you couldn't do just five years ago. Um, you know, have a live conversation from Toronto to North Carolina Um Technology should be making us massively wealthier, um, but instead it's actually widening the gap because it's 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 used to cover up price inflation. They get to they get the benefit of everything that we produce and all of the increased capacity uh, that we get out of actually a productive economy. Uh, they get to essentially devalue uh, the inflation rate against that. So where we should be getting 5% wealthier yeah. because we produce 5% more this year than we did last year, well, they get to hide that in the CPI. And then it's like 1% CPI inflation. But you realize that means that we lost 
That means instead of getting 5% wealthier, we got 1% poorer. Moving on just Mm -hmm. a little bit now. uh, There seems to be a flood of uh, institutional interest in Bitcoin. uh, I mean, it started... Uh, probably started around the end of 2017, actually, but it was there were very small waves at that point. But, uh, you know, just as recently as like Michael Saylor, for example, and, and for those who don't know, Michael Saylor is the CEO of uh, so MicroStrategy. I'm forgetting the name. MicroStrategy, yeah. a, uh, a very successful uh, 31-year-old company with him at the helm. It was his mm-hmm. company. He started it. Uh, so people like that, people, there's names like Fidelity, Bank of America, uh, JP Morgan, I could go on. Give me your take on what's happening with big movers and shakers in regards to their outlook on Bitcoin. So everybody's desperate for yield. Um, we're talking about those, uh, negative interest rates. So, um, uh, you know, if you buy a treasury bond right now, you're basically, you have a guaranteed loss. However, somebody is going to have to park a billion dollars somewhere very soon, and they're going to get a worse deal because you know the central bank is going to lower interest rates to 0% or to negative. So rather than holding the bond for 30 years, which is what you would think, like that's the purpose of a bond is to get a guaranteed return. But obviously, if the return is zero, you you don't want to hold it for any length of time. So what they're doing is they're just they're playing a game of hot potato. They're just selling it as quickly as they can to the next guy who's going to get the worst deal. So uh, I talked about this with Michael Saylor, actually, um, is that like imagine you're forced to sell your car or excuse me, you're forced to rent your car and it costs you twenty dollars a week um, uh, to rent your car to somebody. Yeah, yeah. I heard this. this and is then. Great. We said, why would you ever buy that contract? Like, why would you ever rent your car? Well, what if you knew in two weeks people were going to have to rent their car for negative $50 a week? Well, you could sell your negative $20 contract to them for the for a $25 difference, and they save $5. So the only reason you're buying the shitty deal today is because you can sell it to somebody who's stuck with a shittier deal in a couple of weeks. So it only works. The bubble explodes if they don't keep pushing interest rates lower, which is why we're, we've gotten down to zero and now everything's going negative is because it's the only way that they can keep the thing alive. Um, otherwise, we yeah. pay the price. Yeah. Otherwise, we pay the price of consuming everything and not saving anything for the last 50 years. But that's how big these bubbles are. That's how big these problems are. When you start manipulating money, people are like, oh, it works fine. It's like, yeah, it works fine for 20 years. But we're talking about like century sized, like like this is how societies live and die. We're not talking about a minor problem. We're not talking about like, oh, we had a bad Christmas season. We're talking about literally building a society in the wrong direction since the 1970s. And totally screwing up finance from yeah. a fundamental perspective. Just broken money. Well, this is this could be called uh, like it could be a soap opera drama. Called <laughs> exactly. Rome and Friends, exactly. You know? It's uh, it's so not they're looking end for well. yield. Um, they're desperate for anything that will pay them that, that could potentially hold their value because everything is getting devalued. Um, real estate is uh wildly overpriced and potentially you know continue to increase if uh inflation continues which you know expect that it would but it's highly illiquid it takes forever to Mm -hmm. offload real estate and closing costs are staggering you know you're talking about huge percentages of the entire value of the real estate just to move it um and then it takes months and months Mm -hmm. you have to find somebody who's you know buying that it's not it's not like real estate is ubiquitous you know or quote unquote fungible, like one piece of land is not the same as another piece of land. Like you could have land on the corner of the street in New York. You could have land on the corner of the street in Connecticut, like in the middle of nowhere or something. Um, so right. Uh, uh, because of that, 
there's no clear place to park a lot of money that's liquid, that's that you can get to at any time of the day. Like uh, Michael Saylor's example actually was uh, midnight in Istanbul on a banking holiday weekend. What the hell? How the hell are you going to get money yeah. anywhere? Like, um, whereas if yeah. he has Bitcoin and he can take a couple of hours of offloading it, um, he could get it with almost a no, like zero percent loss, like like a tiny, tiny spread. If he wants to offload it immediately, it might be a one percent or two percent spread. But if he can wait four or five hours, he can get it at negative 0.2%, like about 0.2% cost, maybe. Um, and then have it accessible as money in his bank, like like on a card. Um, yeah. And do that with hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars, like with massive amounts of money. Uh, and then it's also got the properties of gold. It's not, you can't print it, you can't inflate it. There, you don't have to, you don't have to care if they lower the interest rates again, or if they... Uh, you know, try to screw with some ETF or, uh, you know, manipulate like LIBOR, um, manipulate the prices overseas. Like Bitcoin is Bitcoin everywhere you are. And Bitcoin is 21 million. There's 21 million of them. There's never going to be any more. Like, that's just it. Like you, and the, There's no political board. There's no central bank that decides differently or thinks that, oh, we really need a hundred more Bitcoin right now. And maybe we should have them so that we can buy stuff. No, that doesn't, that doesn't play. The system simply doesn't allow it. Um, and uh, because of that, they, he knows, you know, from the point of Michael Saylor, he knows that nobody's ever going to cheat how much he bought. Like it's always going to be worth that same percentage of the whole. Um, it's highly liquid exactly. and available. Uh, if anybody else realizes how valuable this is, it's going to go up in value because it can't be inflated. Um, and uh, and he has it no matter which country he's in, where he is in the world. It, it exists the same everywhere. There's no borders. There's no overnight fees. There's no uh, wait for business days or make sure you're in the banking hours. All of that is gone. And they're ubiquitous. Every Bitcoin is every Bitcoin. It's not like real estate. You know, like I could have land in a war-torn mm -hmm. country or land in the greatest, wealthiest, freest place in the world. But Bitcoin is the exact same in both of those places. Um, and because of that, like it's, a, it's, it's like a magical asset in this current environment. Like there could be no better environment to prove just how valuable and useful uh, something like that could be. Right. Uh, I think for me, that's what got me in was uh, the fact that it was a hard capped, uh, mm -hmm. hard money. And that's the term we like to use, hard money. Uh, and even a step beyond gold, because gold potentially could be found more and more every day. There might be a new deposit under the mm -hmm. ocean. There might be a passing meteorite in the future that has a store of gold within it. Uh, uh, and obviously, uh, I've heard the argument, the more uh, the, the price of gold rises, the more people work harder at pulling it out of the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's not, in fact, as limited as some people would, would think. And you also got to remember, too, it's just a matter of cost. So if uh, uh, two, two things could happen, actually, that I think are much more realistic and short term. Uh, than uh, something like uh, mining asteroids or whatever, which necessarily is going to have a huge cost for a very long time, probably. Um, but if you think yeah. about it, uh, uh, things that we can do today, but just are just don't make economic sense, is that uh, it costs a ton of energy to irradiate lead or mercury down to gold to knock off a neutron and make it gold. But you can't do that. It just takes a ton of energy. But if you have a few, right. a few iterative, like uh, iterative, um, like exponential steps in energy production, and then simultaneously you have, uh, you know, two steps in uh, gold becoming more valuable, suddenly it may very well be economic to spend that amount of energy mm -hmm. to turn lead into gold. Um, and yeah, and it's just techno technological advancement of the human race. I mean, if you proposed a uh, microcomputer to somebody in the 17th century, they would say, we'll never achieve that. Uh, so, 
Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's mostly a matter of time and technology. Whereas the beauty of the Bitcoin system is that the harder people work on it to make them, the harder it is to make them. Um, it actually self-adjusts. It was as it would be as if gold got harder to make, the easier it got to make it. <laughs> you know, like the more people who fought <laughs> to make gold is if gold became that much harder and more secure. That is that is Bitcoin. Um, because yeah. it's math, it can adjust how difficult you have to work to make it so that, again, there will only ever be 21 million and nobody can make it outside of the, the predictable, um, predetermined schedule that has existed since it was born. Nobody's cheated it so far and it looks like hilariously clear uh, that nobody ever will be able to. That's amazing. That's an amazing feat. Uh, let's talk about the man or the conglomerate of uh, the association of people, uh, whether you believe any of these things. And I think it's wonderful. But the uh, the creator of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, a gentleman or a woman or uh, an entity by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, shrouded in mystery. And, and I love it. It's kind of like Shakespeare. Did he write the plays by himself <laughs> or did he have help? Uh, it's an ingenious protocol. Uh, tell me or give me some thoughts about Satoshi uh, from all the things you've read and studied and the people you've interviewed and, uh, you know, people like Hal Finney mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Give me give me a shed your light. So on uh, I think Satoshi is basically. Um, uh, basically what he said he was. Um, I think he's uh, some, just some guy. Uh, and uh, I kind of think it was one person. So many people are insistent that it was many, many people. And maybe he had other people contributing to the code, like reviewing it before it was released. Um, but uh, particularly mm -hmm. like the language he, use, he uses and like speaking everywhere online in like email responses, the forums, um, uh, Bitcoin talk forums and all that stuff. Uh, it's, it yeah. speaks exactly like one person. Um, consistent language across the board. The answers sound the same. Um, I think uh, even like uh, MIT did a, a language analysis or whatever on it. Um, and it, that was consistent as well. One person. Um, and uh, they came up with a couple of different people that... Uh, basically had similar language or whatever in the cryptography space who could, you know, potentially be candidates and that kind of thing. Um, right. which was pretty cool. Uh, but then also kind of the type of like the, the way the code was, um, like some of the, the minor mistakes or the way the code was written was, it was actually like the system itself was brilliant, like next level brilliant like as a whole, but he wasn't right. actually like a flawless coder. Um, it was, it was more of the systems engineer and the architecture was just phenomenal, but the code was kind of bulky. Um, like there's a lot of stuff okay. in it that like, uh, for instance, when, um, other people started contributing to it, the, the first couple of years of Bitcoin's existence was literally just deleting code was how can we do how can okay. we do this that was written in 200 lines how can we write this in like seven lines uh and and i think uh like yeah. uh, gavin one of the first one of the uh the lead maintainer who took over it after satoshi peaced um i think he deleted like 100,000 lines of coders 50,000 lines of coders something like that it was it was a ton of stuff so like because of that i i literally think this was like one person who is just like very very dedicated to this maybe had some input, clearly got a lot of inspiration from other projects, like uh, Way Dies B-Money. Um, well, actually, I, t I take that back. B-Money, apparently he heard about afterward um, because there was some indication that that was later on. Uh, but uh, Hash Cash. Right, but you're, you're speaking of right, predecessors. predecessors sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin okay. had many, many yeah. predecessors. A lot of people think that Bitcoin just kind of came out of the ether. No, they've been trying to do this for 20 years. Uh, the cypherpunks had built so many right. of the pieces that went into Bitcoin prior to Bitcoin. Um, and basically, yeah. Satoshi was finally the one that 
took looked at all of it and saw where this one was great and it's three massive failures where uh, this other one over here um, had one very, very clever idea that could be applied to the other one and then put this into an entire interworking system and basically basically took one piece from each of them and then created this kind of unique relationship between them, uh, which finally birthed Bitcoin and it has yet to die. Uh, so speaking of numbers go up, <laughs> And number go up, folks. If you if you don't know, to the uninitiated, is a, a saying that uh, the Bitcoin universe banties about, uh, which is really the main attraction. And I'm no different. I got into Bitcoin as a speculator. I thought, wow, we could really make uh, a fortune here if this is an asymmetrical asset, like mm -hmm. everybody's saying. Uh, and we certainly witnessed that in 2017. Uh, Let's talk about the stages of Bitcoinism, right? So first I start as a speculator and then it seems to be I gain knowledge and uh, I understand the logic of the protocol and the brilliance of uh, hard money and the fact that it's uh, a non-inflationary uh, form of economics. Mm -hmm. and, and then we can even go beyond that because it begins to get strangely... And I'm not sure we should get people in on this, but it gets almost spiritual. It's like Bitcoin solves problems in the world. Oh, no, it's, it's, know, it's real cosmic. It's it, it, like you seem like a total, <laughs> total psycho, like w when you go there. Um, but but it's yeah. amazing kind of when you get to that step. Um, and I think it's really it, it's even though it's fun to get, quote unquote, cosmic with it. Um, it's It's simply a matter of economic incentives. But when you begin to realize just how powerful economic incentives are that how intertwined they how, are with our very social exactly structure. how intertwined everything yeah. is with economic incentives and how looking at the world from an incentives perspective that so many things make sense that looked confusing and convoluted and shallow prior to it um and that we are incentive beings yeah we we are all we do is respond to our environment and try to make sense of it. So when our environment yeah. changes, when those incentives change, change, everything changes. Um, and thus, so does our vision of the world, how we view the world, how we view the future, how we view our choices. And that makes us change. So it's really it's not that many steps to get really cosmic about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the more fascinating elements that uh, Bitcoin Twitter will go into that I'm sure makes us look like crazy cultists. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pleased to be uh, among your kind at the moment. I, <laughs> I appreciate uh, this whole conversation. Uh, but let's leave it at that. Uh, there, uh, we're, we're getting close to an hour uh, at this point, but I wanted to squeeze in uh, this question. How can Bitcoin fail? I, I get a lot of people saying they're scratched, they scratch their chins, anybody that will listen to me. And I do. I have one dear friend, uh, my friend Robbie, who is considering making his first dip. Um, but he's a very, you know, uh, logical, um, forward thinking uh, person. And he's always his angle is what what how does this go wrong? And I mean, it's a wonderful way to think, especially in the world that we've been raised in. Because we can see already, and uh, this is for another time, but uh, I, I listened to your podcast yesterday. Governments can turn the screws on things and try to take over and try to manipulate. What can go wrong with Bitcoin? So you, you, we also have to keep in mind that it is code. Um, it is governed by code. Okay. Um, it is enforced and defined by code. And it is a communication protocol. Um, so uh, there are always things that can stress it. There are always things that, I mean, just like the internet, the internet can be hit with DDoS attacks and man in the middle attacks and uh, like these sorts of things and make it very, very hard to keep it alive. And, uh, you know, the internet can go down for some spans of time. Uh, and similarly, Bitcoin and these other protocols and stuff now built on top of it can be subject to these sorts of problems. Um, but it's a difference 
there's a big difference between something really getting hurt, something having to adjust or something needing an update versus it dying. Um, and same as there's a million things that could deeply hurt the internet or cause problems or, you know, shut down a crap ton of servers. Will it kill the internet? Sure. Yeah. Like I think the internet is like more right. fundamental than that. Um, and in that same way, we could have bugs that hit 80% of nodes and have to adjust and update and come back online. There's always something that could go wrong. But I think as time passes, you know, th th that likelihood was extremely high uh, seven years ago, right? Um, right. And yep. higher eight years ago. <laughs> and But every day that time passes and there isn't a bug or that anything that is found is found by a Bitcoiner and uh, repaired before it even gets exploited, that that becomes less and less likely. And referred to as the Lindy effect. The longer something has survived securely, uh, the longer it is expected to survive in the future. Um, and so that's mostly a product of time. And Bitcoin right. has survived with people beating the hell out of it. In the largest community of hackers and cryptographers who all want to find all the ways to break it, and with this giant $200 billion reward on the other side of breaking it, and nobody's broke it. So, um, yeah, man. I am, I am more and more convinced that... Uh, yeah, there will be hiccups. Yeah, there will be like challenges and there's plenty of stuff left to build. Um, but I don't think Bitcoin's going anywhere at this point. Yeah, well, I'm, I agree with you. My faith in it as a protocol that grows in strength with each passing block is uh, is, is, is I, yeah. I'm, with you, next block. I'm with you. I'm with you. Guys, one. Yeah, exactly. TikTok next block. Guy, thanks for uh, providing me with your valuable time today. I really appreciate it. It means so much. And I've been a fan, man, uh, for I, I think I discovered your podcast maybe last year. And uh, I've learned so much listening to you and uh, to your uh, peers. And it means a lot. Uh, so keep doing what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention, folks, if you want to learn more from Guy, uh, it's Guy Swan. That's with uh, two N's, S-W-A-N-N. Uh, -N. Mm -hmm. And uh, your Twitter, Twitter handle is at the Cryptoconomy. Yeah. Yeah. You can also find me is at, that correct? at the, the Cryptoconomy. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it's the name of the network now, um, but that was like original show name before crypto kind of became a dirty word. Um, but, uh, yeah. And the pod, the podcast is Bitcoin yes, Audible. Bitcoin Audible. And you can find me at that. And it's a great that podcast. handle as well. Bitcoin Audible. Yeah. yeah. And I, that comes highly recommended, folks. It's an amazing uh, wealth of uh, knowledge and information. And you can go back through the episodes and uh, there's always something to be gleaned uh, from from each and every podcast. And uh, thank you so much, Guy, for taking Absolutely, the time. Absolutely, man. I appreciate being on. I had a fun time. Mm -hmm.